Wonder Thing Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, episode 98. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Nick Fife. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we jump right in to explore what works and what doesn't, trying to transform the raw idea into literary gold. Literary gold indeed. Yes, yes. And and so far, our, our ratio of raw idea to literary gold, I think, is pretty much one to one. We have we have we have a market <laughs> success in that stated goal. Uh, Nicholas Fife, my friend from Under Libram, uh, a, a writer, crafter, gamer, uh, a dude about town in the specfic biz. Dude, we had a blast on the twenty minutes with, and and I'm really looking forward to diving into a brainstorm with you, man. Thanks for making the time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. We we've been circling each other on the on the under message boards for quite a while now. I'm glad we had this chance to to connect and get all creative together. And 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 that doesn't happen until we get our guest host back because that's a key component in the alchemy of the round table. So, dear friends, please welcome back from a fabulous, inspiring, and insightful 20 minutes with of just seven days ago, back in the big chair. Gene Cavellos. Uh, Gene, every time we get together, it's this wonderful contrast between this wonderful old friend that that uh, I get to reconnect with, and then there's also this incredible wisdom and insight that you bring, and and it's it's a wonderful weaving of of two very very pleasant and delightful threads. Thank you so much, ma'am. I'm looking forward to brainstorming with you once again. You're making me feel a bit like Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) But as long as I get to bathe in the creative froth, I will Um, accept that mantle. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll put on our, we'll put on our bathing suits and our, our water wings and so on. And I just write, you will. Yes. (laughs) Your characters with motivations have. Yes. (laughs) Gene, now I know some of the things that are coming up for you, uh, uh, just because I, like with all of our guest hosts, I stalk you a bit on the web, so I have an idea of what's coming up, but I know that's not the full scope of it, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to ask this next question, as I always do. Ma'am, what's coming up in the world of Gene Cavellos? Ah, the world of Jean. It's so glamorous, let me tell you. It's just <laughs> exotic, sparkles yes. going off. <laughs> <laughs> Glitter cannons abound. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, the main thing going on for me right now is preparation for this summer's Odyssey writing workshop. We are very excited about our lineup of guests for this summer. We've got our six-week program. It's held uh, at St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. And the dates for this summer are June 6th to July 15th. And our application deadline is April 8th. So I am already drowning and the creative fraud is now getting wet. All of these implications <laughs> that I am in the midst of reading and there is much preparation. The elves are working day and night to build the various torture devices that will be used on the writers who attend the workshop. Uh, so we are in full gear here in preparation for a wonderful, wonderful summer. I just got the custom textbook that we use for the summer. Really? Which is 
filled with lots of great essays on writing and stories that we study uh, throughout the six weeks. Yeah, we use them as examples and say, okay, let's look at the openings of all these stories. Let's look at the endings. It's for, for the first, I don't know, five or 10 years, I didn't have this. And I would talk about, you know, I'd say, oh, well, you know, this story, blah, blah, blah. And they'd go, no, we don't know that story. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, oh, maybe if we all started out with a common collection of stories that we could discuss, that would be a good idea. That's so awesome. anyway, th yeah, that's something that we do and it evolves each year. I just added a couple more stories to it for this year. That sounds like uh, a great resource, Gene. Do you, do you make that available to only attendees? Yes, it's a custom thing. I just have 15 of them printed for the class. That's awesome. That See, and that's something that you can take with you and and have it serve as a touchstone to all of the, the insights and the, and the wisdom and the learning that you make during the six-week workshop. That's outstanding. It helps to, to keep things together, too, because I give out lots of handouts. I give <laughs> out piles. I kill many, many forests each year with, <laughs> to make these handouts, but they regrow. Froth Rider and Forest Slayer. That's those <laughs> yes. shall be your your fantasy names. <laughs> so at least we have some of the things collected in the textbook, which is nice. Excellent. So preparing for that and trying to make it great. You know, our big exciting thing this year that I'm working on right now is for the first time we are going to have air conditioners in the dorms. Oh, goodness. It's New Hampshire. This is not something that is commonly done. Uh, but it, and it's, I've been working for five years to get the college to approve this, Holy and finally crap. they have. So now I have to go find the air conditioners and perhaps do a little... Arm twisting at Home Depot, try to get a go. deal or something. Yeah, a little creative so, financing. Yes. <laughs> so is that why you're having to come up with the new torture devices? There you go. There you go. <laughs> that's a use I hadn't even thought of for the <laughs> torture <laughs> Oh, that's, that's why people come to the roundtable, Gene, for new ideas and new applications of old ones. Awesome. <laughs> you just can't torture enough, really. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Gene, where, where can people go to, uh, uh, to find out about this workshop and possibly add to the, to the elves' workload who are wading through the froth of our applicants that are already in there? They can go to odysseyworkshop.org and find out all about the workshop there. We also have lots of free resources on our site for writers, including podcasts, which are excerpts from previous workshops, that people can listen to and our blog and lots of writing and publishing tips. So uh, if you're a writer, I'm sure you're going to find something there that can help you. Outstanding. Outstanding. Very cool. And I can affirm that, dear friends. It is a, a valuable resource to add to your regular stops on the, on the cyber highways. Gene, you're, you're, you're a busy person. Do you do conventions at all? I will be at ReaderCon in Boston on July 9th, which is a Saturday, and I'm usually the whole Odyssey class comes down with me because it's a great experience for them. They get to meet a lot of writers. So if you want to see people who look really, really sleep deprived and speak incoherently, <laughs> this is at the end of week five out of six weeks. Uh, go to ReaderCon and I will love to blabber incoherently. <laughs> so in addition to this awesome workshop, the, the, the attendees actually get a field trip too? <laughs> yes. That's awesome. We don't let them out too often. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else? Obviously, you're going to keep working on Fatal Spiral. 
uh, any short stories or any other publications we can look for in the near future? Nope. I have vowed off of doing anything but finish this book. We are in a death match <laughs> to the bitter end. And one of us, you know, author and book enter and one of us leaves. So one of us will be leaving the Thunderdome. And there we go. I, I hope it's me. <laughs> so do we. It's totally. out there too. <laughs> awesome, very cool. I'll I'll make sure all of that gets into the liner notes, Gene, so our so our listeners can can make with the clicky click. Real quick, Nick, um, uh, you're doing some pretty incredible stuff over in the Under Librums. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners just real quick uh, uh, what you're working on over there? Okay, well, um, <clears throat> I think the uh, the first thing that should be coming out is going to be if you've heard of the uh, folklore board game. It, it ran a very successful Kickstarter last yeah, fall. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to be a contributing author for at least one of the stories within that board game. Uh, I've actually been working with uh, Will Donovan and Nick Blaine here lately trying to, you know, put things together and trying to have them bring me up to speed on, you know, what the game is all about. What and is the game all about? Just real quick, a quick, you know, one or two sentence paragraph. What What is Folklore the Affliction about? Well, it's set within the land of Kreml, which is a fictional European kingdom. And really what, what it's all about is there's a rising darkness within the world. And these afflictions, these monsters and demons and any number of other things from within mythology and folklore. and European folklore yeah are you know are coming back into the world to threaten the people of Kreml very cool and and when you say you're writing a story for a board game what does that mean well it is, it is a uh, role-playing game board game ah, okay. um, so each of the players have a character that they're playing as. You can choose from uh, one of six different character templates. And then when you're actually playing the board game, each of the individual stories, well, you know, you gather instead of experience points, I believe they use lore. And as it progresses, you know, you level up your character from one story to the next, collect different gear and things like that. What I find truly exceptional about it is it, it takes a lot of the draw that people feel to uh, role-playing games, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, so on and so forth, and then it, it really boils it down and distills it into a board game that can be taken with somewhat shorter doses. Uh, I believe the goal for each of the stories is to run about 90 minutes. Well, and it's interactive, too. It's, it's not and, just consuming a story, but it's actually living a story, which is the promise of role-playing anyway. It is, and everyone at the table plays. You don't have one person who is, you know, set back from the action and choosing the what the monsters are doing or whatever right, else. Yeah, right. the dungeon master, game master. Everyone at the table is involved with their own character and contributing to the choices that the group makes. That sounds fascinating. I'm intrigued by that. Do you have any kind of dates, uh, even even a speculation, a season when when uh, this might be hitting the shelves? Well, I believe that um, everyone who pledged on the Kickstarter, and I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it should be shipping in late October. Excellent. Very cool. 
Well, I will make sure links for that get into the liner notes too, Nick. I think that's awesome. I'll, I'll, I will keenly attend to the, the developments of that particular project. So, very cool. All right, friends, you've got your marching orders. Clickety clicks to make, but not right now. Right now, I'd like to pause for, for just a little bit to, to give some airtime to an awesome Kickstarter uh, uh, or, or possibly an ebook or maybe another podcast. There's so much fabulosity out there in the world. Uh, uh, and when we come back, Gene, Nick, I would love to brainstorm a story with you both. What do you say? Let's do it. Yeah. yeah, awesome. I couldn't agree more. We are totally going to do that. Uh, but friends, don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Marshall Latham from the Journey Into podcast. For several years now, I have been taking you on fun, adventurous, warm, heartfelt, scary, thoughtful, and frivolous journeys into space, mystery, fantasy, suspense, horror, and the unknown. And now... It's your turn. I want you to take me on a journey. You can submit your journey to me by entering the 2016 Journey Into Writing Contest. I will be accepting submissions from April 1st to May 1st, 2016. Your journey must be presented in 4,000 words or less, and its title must start with the words, Journey Into... The rest of the title, and the journey itself, is up to you. Please no splatter horror, grimdark, or explicit sexual content. Also, please avoid coarse profanity. The first, second, and third prize winners will receive modest cash prizes. The winning journeys will also be presented as full cast audio productions on the podcast, as well as some honorable mentions. For all the details, go to the website at journeyintopodcast.com. Dot blogspot.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and until then, journey on. Welcome back, dear friends, and now we get down to the reason why you're here and the reason why we're here, the story brainstorm. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the writer's chair to set the table for our brainstorming feast. And friends, our guest writer for this episode is the author of Half Past Midnight, The Road to Rejas, Streets of Pain, Ghost Story, and the short story The Burning Land, which was published in the Dead Robot Society's anthology Explorers Beyond the Horizon. He is a decorated writer securing awards and accolades from the Golden Triangle Unpublished Writers Contest, the Bay Area Writers League Manuscript Competition, and the Houston Writers Conference Manuscript Contest. He's currently working on Year 12, the sequel to Half Past Midnight, and hopes to release it in the next few months. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, Jeff Brackett. Jeff, my friend, we have, have intersected at the Dead Robot Society. We've run into each other online in countless occasions. It is a genuine delight and pleasure to have you joining us on the roundtable and, and striding so boldly to offer up a, a nascent idea for discussion, sir. We really appreciate it. 
Well, thank you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate being here. <laughs> well, hold that thought until the end. You never know how these uh, <laughs> how these workshops are going to roll out. I can anticipate good things, but uh, but let's not jinx it. Let's not jinx it. Uh, so so let's in fact let's just let's just dive into this. I'm keen to hear your pitch and get down to some brainstorming goodness, Jeff. You know how this works. We give you five to eight minutes. Give us the title of the story and the genre and the audience. And give us the taglines. Give us the themes that you're going to be working on. Introduce us to the world and characters. Give us the tent poles of the story arc you're conceiving. And then we will dive in and we will, we will froth. And we will ride the froth. And, and we will have us a fabulous <laughs> brainstorm. I'm, I'm done talking. Dude, I'm getting out of the way. The mic, Jeff, is all yours, man. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, the story that we're working on, I've got a working title called Warrior Clan. Uh, it's science fiction, possibly branching into military sci-fi, and it's the first in a planned series. The hook line, Earth is forced into a war against alien attackers. The war will determine whether Earth will be subjugated, exterminated, or simply thrust into a battle for which we're woefully unprepared. The theme, this is a story about honor, perseverance, and of sacrifice for the greater good. By setting, the book is set on Earth about 30 to 50 years from the future, where the greys from old UFO lore have been working secretly in the background of human society since our prehistory. They've telepathically been influencing our technological advancement, staying hidden as much as possible. They're still more advanced, possessing technology that allows them to teleport, manipulate our DNA, and control gravity. They've been working to bring us to a level that will allow us to join in a multi-species intergalactic society on a more even footing than we currently would be able to. My protagonists. I've got Captain David Terrence, call sign Fixius. He's a combat pilot for the U.S. Navy. He's a warrior scholar who sees himself as a modern-day samurai. Some of his uh, compatriots admire him. Others see him as a little bit of a snob with a holier-than-thou attitude. He's become disillusioned with the way that his superiors in the military are turning more into politicians rather than protectors of the people. His refusal to play politics has made him some enemies in the upper ranks and have stalled his career, causing him to contemplate resigning his commission when his hitch is up. When he is made aware of the aliens and the coming war, he suddenly has more important concerns than his military career. He'll eventually concern himself less with his status as a combat pilot for the U.S. and more as a protector of humanity as a whole. I've got Sergeant Karen Littlebird. She's an army sergeant, known among the infantry for avoiding enemy traps and always getting her squad home. She claims it's because she has good instincts and trusts her gut, but in reality it's because she's a latent telepath. Throughout her career, Littlebird has fought to be better than anyone else. She's a Cherokee, and as such has worried that her status as a woman and as a minority might be seen as an influence in her advancement. She always wants to do things better than anyone else to prove that she's not getting any kind of special treatment. When she gets dragged into a war with attacking aliens, the Greys tweak her latent ability, allowing her to anticipate attacks and sense the intent behind the antagonists. Observer Nala. Nala is one of a group of aliens, commonly known as Greys, who've been working with the humans behind the scenes, surreptitiously guiding us into a technological advancement. The Greys want to protect humanity until they can develop us enough to use as soldiers. I plan significant growth with this character as he begins to sympathize more with the humans as the story develops. The Antagonist 
At first, the antagonists are faceless. All we know initially is that their ships and land vehicles are hostile, faster and more maneuverable, and better shielded than anything that humans have. Strangely enough, their weapons aren't too far advanced beyond humanities, though. This is, of course, due to the influence of the Greys. When Earth finally manages to capture one of the attackers, everyone is shocked to discover that they're actually human, at least physically. Mentally, though, they're found to be part of a hive mind mentality, sharing a single consciousness. The story. The story begins with Captain Terrence leading a patrol flight off the coast of California. They're called to intercept an unidentified aircraft that's rapidly approaching the California coastline. The aircraft turns out to be a hostile UFO that attacks Terrence and his wingman, initiating a dogfight that ends with Terrence ramming his aircraft into it over Los Angeles. Thousands of people witness and film it, so there's no way to keep it secret. And to make matters worse, NORAD reports that they're tracking a larger force approaching the Earth. Aliens soon begin establishing beachheads on Earth, and battles soon begin on land as well as in the air. Attackers establish shielded dome bases that are almost impenetrable. The Greys become aware of Little Bird as she manages to destroy a dome by striking just as alien vehicles are exiting, as if she knew when and where they were going to open their shields. They discover her latent telepathy and enhance the ability in order to help her become even more effective in fighting against the attackers. Meanwhile, Terence is awakened by Nala, who explains that he was able to teleport the pilot from the cockpit of his aircraft before it actually collided with the enemy UFO. Terence finds that Grays have not only healed his wounds, but have repaired the damaged telomeres in his DNA, effectively reversing the damage caused by normal aging, and he feels like a young man again. Nala and the Greys come out of hiding to meet with the heads of state in an effort to explain what is happening on a larger galactic scale. They use Terence as a spokesman to help convince human governments that of the Greys' benevolence, telling how they've been working on Earth's behalf for decades. They explain that they've known that the attacks were coming and have been trying to prepare us. Eventually, Little Bird captures a small group of living aliens and learns of their shared consciousness. She also finds that we share common ancestors who seeded us on the earth in our ancient past. Humanity is the genetic refuse of an evolutionary step that pushed their telepathic powers to the next level, creating the shared consciousness. Those who lacked the ability to join the hive mind were left in peace to develop on earth. However, now that the greys have brought us into the war, the hive mind felt that we were too much of a threat and are determined to destroy us before we can be used against them. We're forced to fight our own ancestors. The Greys give us the technology to fight, but it's not without a price. We're saved, but conscripted as a security force for the civilized worlds. In the end, we're left with the knowledge that we've been manipulated into a war with our own ancestors, and left with the question of whether the Greys are our benefactors or our slave masters. And that's it. Bam! There you go. Awesome. Good pitch, man. Good pitch. Let me, let me ask you, what are you hoping to get out of the next eh, 45 minutes or so of, of brainstorming uh, on, this, on this intriguing story concept? Well, uh, a few things. The, the biggest question I have uh, falls at the very beginning, and that's uh, what causes that initial scout ship to attack the training flight. Uh, because in my mind, that attack is critical to the initiation of the story. But, uh, and the idea is, you know, if the antagonist race has already decided to destroy us, why send a scout? And if they haven't, 
then why attack immediately? That was so one of my I, questions that I was going to ask when we got around to that <laughs> section anyway. So, okay, uh, on a larger scale, on a larger conceptual part, what, what are you hoping to uh, firm up or, or, or strengthen within this, within this story? Well, um, my big weakness on something like this is, is uh, I'm a pantser. So the story is, is, I'm sure, very weakly developed. I have a big concept, a, a, you know, a big concept of a story as a whole. Uh, but getting down to the nitty-gritty, that usually comes to me as I begin writing. Okay. I'm trying to change that a little bit. <laughs> so any, any ideas that you can help me with, I would greatly appreciate it. We will gladly help transition you through that, through that very awkward and painful transition from pantser, from, <laughs> from gardener to architect, or somewhere in between. Uh, uh, but before we do that, we, we need to cover our ass. Um, Nick, would you be so kind as to deliver the patented roundtable podcast disclaimer, sir? Absolutely. Jeff, you're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, Dave, or Gene might be complete bullshit. This is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Okay? Sounds great. Thank you. Good. Awesome. I was worried there for a second. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You're not off the hook. Okay, no, we're off the oh. hook. We're good. We're good. Oh, right. oh, this is bullshit? Well, I mean. <laughs> I didn't come here for that. It, it has that. It, there's a high potential, but not always. All right. <laughs> Let, let's dig into this. Uh, we always start with a quick once around the table for, for each of us, uh, Gene, Nick, and myself, to give our first impressions and to ask any questions of clarification. And we always start with our guest host. So, Gene Cavellos, start us off, ma'am, if you would. Uh, what were your first impressions of Jeff's story pitch, and what questions do you have to help clarify the brainstorm froth to come? Well, I appreciate how organized he was with all of the characters and yes. the situation and everything. That was very helpful. Um, and I think the the war, the, the three sides of this conflict are very interesting. I like that there are three sides instead of two yeah. sides. Yeah, uh, I think that is going to make it way more interesting and suspenseful and unpredictable. Um, I am a little concerned about the ending, which feels like it's not quite resolving in a way that mm -hmm. I feel satisfied with. Although mm -hmm. I'm just you know reacting to the small bit of information that we have so far. Right. Um, the characters seem interesting. I'm especially intrigued by Nala and by the hive mind and how they actually are our ancestors and we are kind of the rejects who were not able to participate in the hive mind. So that's, that's all very cool. Um, I do have some questions, uh, and it's very funny because I had the same concern as Dave immediately about why is this scout ship here to conveniently be <laughs> spotted and reveal the aliens. Um, so we can work on that. But uh, I think what does Terrence want is part of my issue. If he is rescued by the Greys and then becomes a spokesman for them, like, why does he become their spokesman? What does he think of them? Yeah. Uh, he feels, to me, to me, I'm concerned that the greys are driving the story and not the characters that we 
probably are going to relate to the most. Not a lot of agency in the protagonist characters, yeah. Right, right. It feels like they're being manipulated through the whole thing. So, Jeff, what does Terrence want? Well, um, Terrence is, he's going to find a type of redemption in this, uh, kind of a, a justification of his thoughts of being more of a protector rather than a politician. Uh, he, he's going to, on the one hand, uh, enter into a, a larger protective force, uh, not protecting just you know, his particular government, but protecting humanity as a whole. And that's going to help him expand a bit. But in addition to that, uh, he's also going to find that politics is not just a human concept. Uh, it's something that he's going to end up having to deal with on uh, the galactic level, more or less. Fascinating. Fascinating. Not the question we asked. What does <sighs> Terrence want? Uh, okay. Well, then uh, I guess that's something we'll have to explore because that's as far as I've taken it. There we go. That's what we need to hear there. So put a pin in that bad boy. (laughs) Let's dive into Terrence and figure out what he wants. Awesome. Very cool. Gene, any other questions uh, uh, or or points that you wanted to to raise for this first round? Um, I think I need a better sense of the hive mind and what they want. I think you said that the hive mind is concerned that humanity is now becoming a threat to them, but I don't really see that. I don't really know where the hive mind is living and I don't really know what their motivation is. Yeah. Yeah. You got anything for that, Jeff? Uh, only on a, a very broad level. Um, okay. something that did not come out in the pitch here is that while we are being brought into one galactic civilization, it's not the only galactic alliance out there and the hive mind is a representative on on an opposing side but other than that no i don't have any detail okay well we can we can expand and explore that as well and and you know shore up some of the motivations and so on because gene i had the same feeling uh uh they're they're kind of a faceless uh uh they want us dead uh, but we're not real sure why uh so yeah we can explore that as well there was one thing that that i did want to kind of bring out a little bit, and it's not so much that they wanted us dead. Uh, They were very content to leave us alone and uh, viewed us as, you know, the the odd uncle in the corner until uh, the Graves got involved and and started bringing us to the forefront and started using us. So then the question is, why did the Graves get involved? Why did they feel the need? And do you, any ideas? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. only in that because we are descendants from their enemy race, we can be used on a couple of different levels. One, to study genetically, uh, on, to find maybe a biological agent. Uh, on the other hand, we can also be used as a, uh, um, oh, an opposing force, an, uh, an almost equal but opposing force if we can be cultivated properly. All right. Okay. Yeah. They're, grays are bastards. I get this. Okay. Now, now the terrain is starting <laughs> to come clear. I get it. Awesome. Okay. Gene, does that help uh, clarify the terrain a little bit? Yes. Okay. And, and certainly raises other questions that we can explore deeper into the brainstorm. Let me turn the mic over to, to Nick. Nick, what are your first impressions and what questions do you have for Jeff? Well, you know, I, I want to say I, I actually I really like this pitch a lot. Um, I think it explores some interesting concepts. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me, especially not having the context of the greater intergalactic conflict, 
is the possibility that the Greys maybe maybe are not the aggressors, but you know they're they're it, they come across more as manipulators to me. Yes. So from a very cruel standpoint, you know, to me it, it seems like the reason humanity is becoming involved in this conflict is that the Greys see the opportunity to manipulate humanity and use them almost as cannon fodder where they, they don't have to care what happens. And we can explore that more once we get into the brainstorm proper, but I agree. I agree. There's, there's definite food for exploration in these grays and their motivations. Very cool. Other, other thoughts or questions for Jeff? Um, no, not off the top of my head. All right, cool. Well, we've got some pins on the board already. I'm going to add a few of my own, uh, uh, Jeff, I love the framing that you've done for this. I love near future stuff. Uh, uh, and, and as Gene can tell you, it is fraught with peril <laughs> trying to do near, <laughs> near future stuff, especially with technology and so on. Um, Absolutely. But I, I, love, I love a near future story. And, I'm, and as Gene observed that those three sides of the conflict are intriguing, I actually think there's room for more. And, and I'll get into that more. I do have a couple of questions. Uh, you say the Greys have been among us for a while. Uh, how long do you think, and who have they been working with up to this point? Well, the way I've got it envisioned, they've been among us for a while, but they've only been influencing us technologically for the last few decades. In the past, it's been on more of a, a cultural level. Have they been hiding, uh, or, or have they been working with somebody? Uh, no, mostly hiding and observing. For how long? Uh, throughout history so, i mean i i hope to be able to bring in part of the old ufo lore about you know how the you know back to biblical times and before you know there there have been <laughs> ufos and there have been you know Ancient i, I, I kind of want to flavor the story <laughs> in it with some of that okay so they've been here for for centuries for millennia and now they come out and i and i guess i can see that because the bad guys have arrived so okay that's that's interesting um, we talked about Terrence. We definitely need to shore up. The, the, the thing that I noticed, Jeff, uh, uh, and I actually invoked this in another episode just recently, um, your tagline is excellent, but there's no mention of your protagonist in your tagline. And, and oh, that, okay. I think, is very telling. Uh, uh, you have a wonderful world and a wonderful setup, an arena for telling an awesome story. But you know, the, the issues that Gene raised regarding the end... Uh, uh, I think that can be, uh, and I agree with her on that, that it's kind of a, oh, this has all been just one big introduction. There's nothing that's really happened so far. I think we can fix that by giving more more attention to the characters in the story, to Nala, to Little Bird, to Terrence, and to others that may come in as we go. Um, and we can explore that later. Uh, blah, 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 blah. We talked about the hive mind. We talked about what's the UFO doing there. Um, I guess that's pretty much all I've got. But one thing that I want to talk about uh, uh, as we get into the brainstorm proper is one thing that's missing from this story arc is Earth's reaction to the fact that the greys are here and that the aliens are here. It operates largely on this political, military, racial level. And never seems to drop down to what the guy that runs the deli down on 4th Street is doing now that it's affirmed that aliens are actually here and have been screwing with us for centuries. Holy crap. And, and the, 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 
there, there's things to explore in there that I'd like to maybe try and ground into a more vital and organic cultural level to give the overarching story more heart and, and more substance. So, so that's, that, those are my initial thoughts and my hopes. Um, let's dive into this. Gene, I want to start with you, ma'am. Where do you want to start our, our brainstorm, our froth surfing uh, here in Jeff's story? Well, I think we need to figure out what is the immediate conflict. As yeah. you say, there's a great overarching arena, but what are they fighting over? What is at stake? What triggers the conflict? How does it develop? How is it resolved? The specific conflict. Are they fighting over some person like Little Bird who now displays this ability that throws everybody into a panic and triggers this conflict? Or are we fighting over the moon that these guys want and we don't want them to have it? There needs to be a specific line of conflict that is missing right now. It can't just be the whole galaxy at war with each other. You've got to narrow it down. Is it about a Death Star? What is it about in specific that they're fighting over? What triggers the conflict? And what is Ter- how is Terrence involved in it? What is his stake in this? Right, exactly. And, and that, any ideas? Uh, uh, I, I, think, I think we need, you know, some, some things that just off the top of my head. Uh, uh, the possibility that the Greys aren't the only ones who have been lurking in our, in our world for a while. Maybe this hive mind has had outposts on Earth for a very long time. Because, yeah, we're the crazy uncle in the corner. But when the crazy uncle picks up a gun, you pay attention to the crazy uncle. And as Earth starts developing its space program, obviously through the manipulation of the Greys, uh, uh, then suddenly the crazy uncle can become the dangerous uncle. Maybe, maybe that initial scout was not necessarily from the big attack force, but from maybe it was some revelation of an on-the-ground outpost of some kind uh, uh, of these things. That's one thought. Um, but I agree, Gene, we need to get Terrence and Little Bird very intimately involved in whatever the conflict of this first story is. Nick, do you have any thoughts along those lines? Well, one of the things I was thinking was, you know, even if this other, you know, this, this hive mind left humanity behind, uh, presumably millennia ago, you know, several millennia ago, um, it kind of makes sense that they'd still check in from time to time to me and, you know, see, you know, maybe there's the possibility that humanity will one day evolve in such a way that they can rejoin that society. There you go. Yeah. And, you know, so, so when they, when they show back up and they see that, you know, their nemesis, the greys have taken humanity under their wing and have begun influencing them you know, on on the part of the hive mind's perspective, I mean, it, I, I think it's very reasonable to think that there could be a moment of panic. Dude, 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 where, dude, dude, you, you totally just sparked something for me. Telepathy would be the first step of a hive mind, wouldn't it? Ex- exactly. So, so it, maybe it, Little Bird is the first step of the of the hive mind's first steps to bring the crazy uncle into the fold. Let's bring the conflict that's out there very much at home. Let's have the the hive mind in the world and have Little Bird. And and actually, you know what? It sounds like Little Bird's going to be the protagonist at this point if we do this. 
um, had Little Bird be the first stage of the genetic evolution that the hive mind has been inflicting on humanity to bring us back into the fold or bring us up, elevate us, you know, lift us into that, uh, uh, that, that world. Jeff, what do you think of that? I like that idea very much. Cool. Uh, I was already prepared for Little Bird to become the, the main protagonist. I, I could already see that was coming. Well, and, and but the, the, uh, the, I really like the idea of her, in a way, representing the, the antagonist in this even though she doesn't realize it at that point. Well, and the beauty of it is, is by, by setting her up as a Native American and a woman, and now this transitional creature, uh, uh, this, this evolutionary uh, uh, step towards something else, you have this wonderful character with, with this, all these cross-sections, these, these feet in multiple worlds, and how you deal with your own personal identity when confronted with all of these multiple worlds that you need to engage in. Gene, what do you think? Are we, are we on the right track here? I actually have a, an opposing idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Bring that on. Okay. Well, so what I was thinking is, uh, since Jeff, you mentioned that Terrence was involved in politics, so I thought you could open with him negotiating some sort of diplomatic agreement or whatever with these hive mind people and little bird is there as part of Terrence's contingent of negotiators or whatever. And she reads in their mind, the hive mind, something crooked that they're planning and says it. And so at that moment, the hive mind realizes there is a telepath among humanity. And how did that happen? And maybe the grays are doing it. And now they're panicked because a telepath can read the whole hive mind. So right. that is a huge uh, danger for them, and that would trigger them to attack. So that could trigger the whole conflict. Further, Little Bird then is not only something the Greys created to, to get at the heart of the hive mind by reading their minds, but also by reading the hive mind, she may be drawn to join them. Yes. So she could be torn between the two sides. I like that. That's a nice development because we uh, still get that that intersection there. And, right. and and but you 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 ground it. There's there's more drama in that. There's there's an immediate threat posed by the hive mind's skullduggery that then reveals a larger complication and the larger theme of the story. I like that. That works. Although the challenge with that is that at the beginning of the book we don't know that either the greys or the hive mind are out there. <laughs> so. Well, I was just going to say all, what that does though, is that that changes the beginning of the story. It just shifts it back on the timeline a little bit. And, and I'm not opposed to that at all. Yeah. Yeah. We can make uh, that work. It, it opens an, uh, a new beginning where, where we become aware of the aliens on both sides, possibly well before that first battle that, that I've written at the beginning. Yeah. And Terrence can then have more of an arc perhaps from, being stuck in this political diplomatic job to becoming a man of action and going back to maybe what he loves more or what he needs to do right. for humanity. Well, I could see I could see the the, the inciting event happening before page one of the book, being a a, a space not a space a, a an over L A conflict between the Greys and the Hive Mind. And have Terrence be the lead investigator appointed by the military to get to the bottom of ah. it. And, and so now we have this great question 
and in the very first paragraph or the first scene of what the hell is going on. And we have our, a key character who will answer those questions for us, Terrence. And, and you know, maybe he's assigned as an attache or something, Little Bird, or maybe Little Bird is responsible for a different part of uh, damage control or, or, you know, spin or something along those parallel uh, uh, authorities that clash and align and then move us into what Gene was describing. Like, that would be like at the, t- uh, the, the, the main event of Acts 1 would be this, this diplomatic event, this revelation as we go forward. That works. I like that. I like that. Very cool. So now we understand a little better who Terrence is and, and his role in this unfolding mystery as we move forward. We see Little Bird as a much stronger character. So uh, I'm going to ask us to take a look at Nala now, uh, which is doubtless going to bring us into the, into the realm of the Greys and their presence and their role in the story. Uh, Nick, did you have any thoughts on Nala or the Greys or how, given what we've already explored, uh, uh, can, can integrate into this, this burgeoning framework that we're developing? You know, uh, Nala is actually one of the, the, the character that I was a little bit more uncertain of. Um, you know, I definitely think there's a place for the character sure, there. We, we need the voice but, of the Greys in the narrative, absolutely. Yeah, a- absolutely, but... Um, I, I don't quite know what to make of Nala, given okay. you know, the, given the information that I have right now. Gene, what do you think? What 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 do you think Nala's role in the story can be? I think we need to understand why the Greys are in conflict with the Hive Mind to really, yes. really understand that. And to me, it seems almost like perhaps it's a conflict between. Uh, collectivity versus individuality. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the fact that they are manipulating us behind the scenes is kind of against individuality, but that's how it's seeming to me for some reason. Well, maybe uh, the Grey's culture uh, celebrates the individual uh, uh, and that distinction, that separation, that celebration of uniqueness uh, uh, and they see the hive mind uh, that humanity evolves into and then went out of the stars with as an aberration and, and the ultimate betrayal of the power of the individual. It may also be why the greys did not make themselves telepathic, but rather may, are making people in humanity telepathic because that is anathema to them because yeah. telepathy really undermines individuality I think. yes yes it's dirty it's it's a sin uh uh and and you know i can see the grays moving among humanity with this curled lip assuming they have lips uh uh the the, the, the metaphorical curled lip of oh these creatures they they can they can be telepathic oh god but by the same token you also get that whole humanity is celebrates the individual and the collective simultaneously and i think the trick is going to be to make the gray's culture referenced through nala as a a a not a not a cardboard cutout. It needs depth and and fleshing out. There needs to be some good cultural world building there, so that the listeners, the listeners, listen to me. I'm such a podcaster. The readers <laughs> uh, uh, can can get behind and and see the value of all the perspectives. 
And and again, that brings up what you raised earlier, Gene. This this three sided uh, uh, coin where humanity and through the revelation, little bird becomes sort of the fusion and the the alchemy that fuses the two. I'm rambling. I can I can feel myself rambling. <laughs> Gene, what do you I, think? I think that sounds great. Uh, I think I, I know that Jeff said. Uh, Nala would grow more sympathetic over the course of the book. I kind of think maybe we want Nala to be pretty hard through most of the book and then maybe do something to show that he has become sympathetic only at the climax uh, to create more conflict, to keep it more suspense. Uh, Because I think if he becomes too soft, too fast, too sympathetic with humanity... Um, it will take some of the tension out of the yeah. book. Yeah. I think Na- Nala needs a second gray character to interact with, somebody who would be even more hard-ass uh, <laughs> against the, the hive mind and, and humanity so that we could you know, get, gain some information and see a little bit of conflict on that end. I like that. I like that. Yeah, and definitely uh, uh, being able to see nala as that that hard case and then do the unexpected thing one of the things i love about shows like blacklist is that they present this character who follows all of the stereotypes of a certain character type and when confronted with a situation when you set up a character like that uh uh, the reader instantly assumes they're going to react according to the stereotype and what i find so engaging about stories like that is when the character doesn't, and in doing so, but doesn't betray their their core, their heart. And it, it's a tricky thing for a writer to do, but I can absolutely see Nala being this hard-ass, hard-case, party-line person, but because we don't understand what that means because of our assumptions, our prejudice, then Nala becomes a tool to reveal the value and the authenticity and the, the, the val- validation, I guess, of that perspective. So, Nick, what do you think, man? Is, are we on the right track here with Nala? I think so. Um, there's ac- There were actually, I wanted to uh, revisit Terrence real quick. Because yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there's a couple opportunities for conflict that, that I'm seeing. Now, uh, my understanding with Terrence, one of his issues with the military previous to the beginning of the book, or right at the beginning of it, is that they are moving more towards... Uh, you know, po- politicians and whatnot, and less of a actual, you know, military force. So, you know, I'm kind. Of, I, one of the things that I'm envisioning is is that Terrence could see the Greys and this conflict and becoming involved in it as an opportunity to move back towards something that he's a little bit more com- uh, comfortable with. And then on the flip side of that, Little Bird. You know, she she could see uh, maybe rather than having this epiphany of the hive mind and touching their thoughts, they could be actually reaching out to her, you know, through dreams or something similar, either manipulating <laughs> her or something along those lines. So what you could end up doing to create a little bit of added conflict throughout it is you've got Terrence and Little Bird both on the same side, but both of them are viewing the conflict differently right. um, and you know you can have and little birds kind of caught in the middle between 
the Greys, who, you know, Terrence and, you know, other politicians and so on and so forth are all endorsing and being like, look, you know, this hive mind attacked us. We need to do something about it. And you can have Little Bird a, a little bit more on the fence where she's questioning what our involvement actually should be. See, e- Nick, e- I think you hit on something very important just there. Uh, uh, the assumption that we are down with the greys. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think the, the story pitch as presented and, and the general uh, discussion has been, yeah, we're down with the greys because they've been helping us. I question that. I, I and, and we can explore this a little bit. I question whether humanity, when confronted with the fact of two aliens who have been living among us, would be down with either of them. Well, why, do, why does humanity at large even necessarily have to know about the existence of the greys? Humanity at large could, and you know, the general populace could only be aware that there's these alien invaders who attacked and that there's this larger force that NORAD has detected. The, the greys, although, you know, for the characters who are featured, the greys, you know, are, are going to be known. But everyone else doesn't necessarily can, have to, and we'd be missing that. out on a, on an opportunity for conflict of that kind. But you know, depending on the direction that he's wanting to take the story, yeah, you know that that conflict could interfere with his vi- with his vision. I well, think. And let's, yeah, that's a good point. So so let me turn it back over to Gene. Um, it sounds like we have a couple of some choices, some very clear choices before us in terms of our. In the context of the story, of, of Terrence's and Little Bird's and Nala's story, which option gives us the most story food and juice? Uh, uh, the continued uh, uh, surreptitiousness of all the alien races, the revelation of one or the other, or the revelation of both? And, and obviously there's story food for each. I'm just curious, Gene, what, and again, this is why we bring guest hosts and, and co-hosts and myself on here to get personal perspectives. It's not necessarily we have to be in service to the story as an entity, but personally, what, what's your instinct as far as those three choices? Complete, uh, uh, clandestine, one race, another race, or both races? Well, my instinct would be to reveal one race uh, to the world at the beginning when uh, Terrence and the other characters learn about it. So uh, if the hive mind and the greys have had some fight and it blew up Pluto or whatever, uh, (laughs) that the world would find out Pluto blew up and there would be an investigation and they, and it would come out that it was this group and probably they'd be landing somewhere and having a press conference and whatever. Uh, I think you don't want to keep everything secret from humanity. That, To me, that smothers some of the conflict. But right. I think you could have a, a, a very effective revelation later in the story about the greys that the characters may learn about it at the beginning also, but cover it up. Uh, and then it can come out at the worst possible time. Yes. Uh, maybe when we are trying to work with the greys and then the information comes out and now humanity arises up and says, no, you cannot work with the greys. You must fight the greys or whatever. So it, it causes a horrible problem, an obstacle for Terrence to overcome, to do whatever he wants to do. 
I like that. I like that a lot because that and that's that's where you know earlier on when I was talking about what what was missing was humanity's reaction to this news. I could Mm -hmm. see militia groups. I could see you know a civil war break out in countries all over the world. I could see this 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 anarchy erupting as lines are drawn between these two individuals. And then, you know, rocking the, the, uh, the Watchmen vibe, having the revelation of a third entity in there become the galvanizing force, or at least the thing that, that stops people from tearing at each other because of their ideologies, and then poses the very, very real question. It still doesn't give us an ending. Uh, uh, do we have, uh, I'm going to put this out to, to, to Nick, even, even to you, Jess, Jeff, if in the discussion, uh, uh, something's come up and Gene, uh, uh, what, what do we see with this, with this tapestry, with this terrain that we've been building? What is the ending that we're building for, towards for book one? Well, I think that the ending of the first book might serve as a very good window into humanity actually joining the larger conflict. If the first book uh, focused more on the microcosm of the Earth and coming to terms with the greys and coming to terms with the fact that just out of the blue there's this alien force that's coming and uh, and inflicting themselves upon us. Okay. Um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool. I can I can see that there's 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 traction there. Gene, what do you think? Is this going to be more than one book? <laughs> How many books is it going to be? I know you said a series. How many? Do you have an idea? I have Forever? no idea yet. Okay. I, I have no idea how many yet. Okay. Hello, Panzer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, but that's true. <laughs> so if. You know, the end of Act One is this declaration of war, basically, between the hive mind and humanity. And then we got to fight the hive mind in Act Two for whatever it is we're fighting over, Pluto or whatever. Uh, And then the end of Act Two, uh, the news about the Greys breaks out, and we actually discover something much worse about the Greys than what we thought. And then Act Three has us fighting both of them and losing or whatever. <laughs> if it's a gene book, <laughs> lots of people die. <laughs> lots of people die. <laughs> um, Lives ruined. You said one of the themes was sacrifice for the greater good. So whose sacrifice were you thinking of, Jeff? Initially, I was thinking of the main characters, uh, Terrence and Little Bird, uh, pretty much sacrificing their... How would you put it? Um, I guess their concept of being a member of humanity alone and accepting the fact that they're going to be, they're going to have to be part of a larger society. Um, Less individuality and more of a, uh, more a matter of being part of the group. Isolating themselves from the, the collective culture and, and presence of humanity in service to defending and protecting those ideals, uh, uh, the idea that you have to sacrifice, you have to give up the, the benefits of society in order to protect society, that type of thing. Well, yeah, you have to, you have to give up the old society in order to embrace the new. Okay. Well, it seems like, it seems to me that, that in, a, in a larger arc scenario, book one is Earth. 
Book two is war, and book three is the the truth behind the war. There there's a nice progression of of layered story arenas uh, as we go forward. So and and re- referencing back what we were talking about in the in the twenty minutes with last week, uh, uh, talking about seeding the threads of that larger arc in book three in this initial offering here. So I think the ending, I think what happens needs to happen is that Earth is threatened not by the warring force out there. That's a ticking clock that we'll deal with in book two. Book one is Earth's, the, 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 the throes of change and transformation as Earth discovers this, that they're no longer alone in the world, A. B, that we have been manipulated by forces beyond our control to be a part of this conflict. C, that it's not the only conflict out there because there's more. We're, we're being drawn into something that's very specific. And, and B, do we want to engage at all? Those seem to be the issues that need to be expressed globally and culturally but also intimately in Terrence and Little Bird and Nala. Nala needs to, to be on this fence as well. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, as hardline and party line as Nala can be, uh, uh, I can see Nala disliking the notion of manipulation because it's, they're, they're, they're seeding telepathy in the humans. Uh, that's wrong. I'm all about being gray, but this... this protocol that we're working with is wrong maybe she's a security officer maybe maybe she's like the the uh, uh oh what do they call it in the police department where people cops investigate cops um, internal affairs internal affairs oh, yeah. yeah maybe she's internal affairs for the grays and through some uh, uh uh sequence of events becomes the face of the grays because they're the she's she nala is a she he he do they have genders? Uh, he he, right now, yeah. Do they have that, genders that's in the grace? Actually, something I toyed with. I don't know if they even have genders. Yeah, maybe they don't. For maybe the time don't. being, I've got Nala listed as a he. Okay, all right. So so maybe Nala, through some unfortunate uh, uh, sequence of events, became the first exposed gray, and thus un, undesired becomes the spokesperson for the grays, uh, which puts another deeply conflicted character into the forefront of the narrative, which I think works. And that end process then needs to be that Earth deciding or having decided for them through the actions of Terrence and Little Bird and Nala what the next step is. And, and there needs to be conflicts and, and smaller crises uh, 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 inside that resolution that then resolve to paint a clear path or a clear choice at least uh, uh, and consequences thereof okay guys we're running out of time here this this has been awesome uh, uh, but let's 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 go ahead and move it into that final stage that one last time around the table uh, uh, and we'll go around one last time give some final thoughts to Jeff uh, any ideas that you didn't get a chance to put out in the in the brainstorm uh, uh, but but fill his pockets with literary gold so he can be uh, uh, enthused and motivated to go and write this fabulous tale. Gene, we'll start with you, ma'am. Final thoughts for Jeff. Well, I would suggest thinking about killing off Little Bird at the end of Act Two. Ooh. I think it would be an amazing darkest hour 
She's the one who can tell what the hive mind is up to. She's the one who's the link to the greys. She's the one who potentially can save humanity and hold this all together. And, of course, the hive mind is going to want to get rid of her as soon as they find out she can read their mind. Uh, So I think it would be a lovely and emotional and huge moment. Uh, Perhaps she sacrifices herself. Perhaps they get to her and kill her. Um, But it would be like, oh, my God, now we're doomed. And then you'd have a really exciting climax where they have to function without her without the guidance that she's been providing. Um, so that's just something to think about. And, that's awesome. And I guess the other thing I would think about is to, to try to, uh, to encapsulate a little bit more, as Dave has been suggesting, the number of books. I don't honestly know that this needs to be more than one book. Um, but if you feel it does, what are the other books doing so that there's some sort of sense of unity and of closure and resolution at the end. I don't think it needs to go on indefinitely. Right. Uh, but that's me. Uh, so those are some final thoughts. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Good inspiration. Nick, what about you, sir? Final thoughts for Jeff. You know, I actually uh, have a little bit of a spin on Gene's idea about Little Bird dying at the end of the uh, second act. Cool. Um, what if it's not the hive who does it? Because, you know, she, assuming you develop her in such a way where she begins to, um, sympathize with them in in certain ways, even just what if it's Nala who kills her and, you know, tries to do it in secret. And what if part a, an element of the climax in the third act is Terrence finding out about it and, Truly finding himself in the middle and torn between between everything that's happening. That's badass. (laughs) Oh, that's that. Hearts tearing. Yes. Conflict. I'll kill you. That's awesome. I love that, Nick. That's very cool. That's very cool. And and for myself, Jeff, um, I want to see uh, uh, a little broadening. I'd, I'd like one of the things I noticed is that we've only got the one female protag, and I'd like to get more females with agency in this story just to give it a more authentic uh, uh, framing and and reference into human culture. Um, I'd like to see a, a militant group of, of humans rise up and and be all about isolationism and and have Terence have that vibe. Maybe maybe Terence was planning on going out into the wilderness after his tour was up and living freaking alone because I'm done with you people. I'm done with your politics. Uh, uh, we need to be left alone and not messed with by government. And now we're in this scenario where we're being messed with by aliens. By a whole race has been messing with us, and the ideologies of this. Uh, 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 this rebellion, this this militant force that arises to reclaim humanity's independence, and holy crap, there's you know there's there's a vibe right there. Independence, God, it's the rally cry of of Americans everywhere. Uh, uh, freedom. There's William. I'm just riffing on all the shit. Uh, <laughs> but uh, 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 and having somebody embody that ideology, and and and. And, and all of the other facets thereof, 
uh, I mean, there are going to be people, you know, we saw this in, in um, uh, not Armageddon, uh, Independence Day, where people are jumping on the top of the roofs, come aliens and take us to paradise. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be that aspect of culture that says, yes, finally, validation that we're not alone. And they're going to celebrate that. I think in order to have Earth be the stakes of this first book, you have to fully represent humanity in this first book. And that means more perspectives. Definitely the narrative being driven by Terrence Littlebird and Nala. I think that's a nice, tight cohesion. But there needs to be factors, forces, secondary supporting characters that have valid points of view. Uh, uh, that can then, through the course of the story, interact, come into conflict with each other, and through the resolution of their conflict, Terrence and Nala and Little Bird, if she makes it, uh, uh, can, uh, uh, can, can pick and have a clear choice of how to go forward. So. Those, those are my, oh, the other thought I had was, you know, if, if the greys have, have, can, can seed people and make them young and, and, and do, uh, give them telepathy and so on, I, I thought, well, they've been doing this all along. So maybe there's secret societies out there of telepaths, of uh, uh, people that are eternally young, uh, uh, and, and it's all from the greys, and have those organizations, those people that have come together be part of this, this rebellion against them or, or ah. fighting for them. But, but having that aspect and have, you know, Little Bird be one of the descendants of those people could be an interesting backstory to explore. Okay. Whew. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, you know the rules of the roundtable, man. You write this story uh, uh, and put it out there in the world, whether it's a PDF on your on your web page or, or a, a deal with a big publisher. You put it out in the world. You come back, you let us know, and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a Knights of the Roundtable podcast. That's the carrot dangling before you. You down with that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> and we'll hold it on another planet. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be <laughs> we'll do it on the moon that's where we'll hold that nighting ceremony that will be awesome uh jeff brackett sir bold step to stride forward uh excellent brainstorming feast that you laid out for us thank you so much sir this has been awesome uh thank you thank you very much all of you yeah you're very welcome you're very welcome gene that was a blast as always i hope there was good froth for you to surf and 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 frolic in, uh, I think we certainly uh, covered some intriguing ground and explored some interesting, broad narrative topics and some very detailed stuff. Thank you so much for your contribution to that, ma'am. It's appreciated. Had a great time, and I'm just enjoying the froth. <laughs> well, and we will do it. It'll be less, much, much, much less than a year than we want to have you back to froth with us once again. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, and, and Nick Fife, my, my wingman, my co-host, dude, it's been awesome. Uh, uh, thank you so much. It's been great to, to connect with you outside of the Anders and, and to do some, some brainstorming goodness with you, man. Thank you. No, thank you, Dave. <laughs> you betcha. You betcha. And friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, big thank you to you 
for hitting that play button because you are why we do this. If, if we didn't, rec- we record this stuff and put it out there so that you can get the spark and the uh, the fire and the inspiration that we all just had going through this brainstorm. And and if you're if you're in fuego and feeling that vibe. Feel free to pay it forward. Leave a review on iTunes, and, and thank you so much to those who have. That's a huge help. Uh, uh, blog about us. Share a Facebook post. Let the world know about the round table, because uh, there is awesomeness happening here every time we get together. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm literally sweating at this point. This always happens at the end of a round table brainstorm there's a lot of heat that's generated here i'm exhausted but you know in seven days it, it, it's gonna happen all over again i'll take a shower of course uh, uh but we'll also uh, uh bring back more awesomeness we'll have another guest host pouring wisdom in our ears another bold and courageous guest writer setting the table for our our brainstorming frothing feast more round table awesomeness for everybody but I know, it's seven days, and holy crap, it's a long time. Trust me, I know. And and there's just nothing we can do to make it happen any quicker. Nick, help our friends out, man. What can they do between now and seven days from now, besides take a shower, uh, to make that time just fly by? Go right. Yes, absolutely. The the, the mantra of the round table. Uh, uh, your ideas, your perceptions, your insights, seeding the world. That only happens when you write and publish. So write your stories and put them out there. Excellent, excellent advice, Master Fife. And I will tell you, friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label sweetness that awaits you. Look for the spare change in the sofa. Look for the the lost package at the back of the Christmas tree. And if you look for it, friends, I promise you, you will find it. We'll be back in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast.com and on Twitter, at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.